Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by the Haufe HR Chatbot. The Haufe HR Chatbot is a self-service tool that answers most important HR-related questions by your employees in a legally secure and fast and automated way. It comes with more than 300 pre-formulated answers and associated questions and is continuously updated and expanded by a professional editorial team. Haufe guarantees to answer with legally compliant and up-to-date content. It's simply a 24-7 service for employees. Whether in the office or remotely, employees receive a quick response at any time and from anywhere. It comes with a mood barometer. The chatbot automatically compiles regular insights on topics that are frequently requested in the company. It does not require major IT integration and is set up in no time. If you're interested, just visit haufe.de slash chatbot and with the coupon code alphalist, you don't have to pay the setup fees. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. And today I have a very special guest, uh, not a technical guest, um, but it's uh, the brilliant Ken Coleman. He's best-selling author. And um, like my typical question is the question for the nerd path, which typically, or which, which in this case doesn't apply to him, I would say. So I give you the chance to actually introduce yourself, Ken. Uh, glad to have you here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be with you. So I am a uh, I'm a coach at heart and a coach uh, in practice every day. I coach men and women. I coach leaders uh, to be who they were uniquely created to be. There's a unique combination. All of us have talent, things we do well, and all of us have uh, passion for things we like to do. And all of us are motivated by something very specific, a result. So we call those three areas, talent, passion, and mission. And so whether I'm coaching leaders, executives, um, speaking to corporations, companies, uh, or every day on my show uh, on YouTube, we podcast it. We're on syndicated radio in the United States and Sirius XM as well. And uh, I'm coaching people to discover uh, their unique makeup, their unique role, stepping into the role, and then maximizing the role. And that's what I do on a daily basis. Okay, and your last book is called From Paycheck to Purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a, a great buzzword, purpose. Um, and uh, like almost everyone here knows the great book about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, I guess you too. What, what do you think about, about finding the purpose in a company? Um, is that something that, and as a leader actually, uh, and, and li really living the purpose, is that something that is like really mission critical and at what stage of a company you would you would recommend that to every leader? Oh, absolutely. It's mission critical. I'll give you a couple of examples, you know, uh, one uh, that sticks out to me. It's, it's one of the great U.S. <laughs> disaster stories uh, and it relates to this question of purpose. So blockbuster video, you know, they were, they were uh, at that time, you know, you could go rent a DVD or a VHS And you'd walk into a retail store and you could pick out a movie, right? You take it home and watch it with your family. And they came on the scene and they dominated the market. And their purpose initially was to provide a home movie experience for people. And as they got going and they were huge and they grew quickly, they were all over the country. They were a household word. And their executives realized along the way that uh, people were delinquent as we people are in bringing the videos back on time. 
And so, of course, you know, they would charge a late fee to make sure there was some type of penalty or motivation, if you will, for people to return the videos on time. Well, uh, the late fees just racked up, as you would imagine. And so some executive along the way who uh, either forgot what the company's purpose was, their why, uh, uh, or maybe wasn't there when they established it, or maybe wasn't led very well by the executives to say, hey, this is our why to provide a in-home movie entertainment experience, an escape for a family. Um, got all excited about late fees. And they lost sight of, and it was just counting cash. They're like, oh man, our uh, the, the, the unexpected business uh, model for us is, is we're providing people entertainment, but boy, that we're really raking in the late fees. And so they got complacent. They got fat and happy, like, well, that that's just that's just mailbox money. We didn't have to do anything. That has nothing to do with marketing. It has nothing to do with anything. And they lost sight of their why, their purpose, because purpose answers the question, why do we do what we do? Why does this company exist? So that story illustrates that they left themselves in a position of complacency because they lost sight of their why, and they got disrupted big time by Netflix. And when Netflix came on the scene, Blockbuster almost evaporated. I mean, it was that quick because Netflix came in and went, okay, there's a better way to do it in an easier way, making it super simple for people. And we can get a subscription and we send it to people. And all they got to do is put it back in the packet, and walk out to their mailbox. And people say, well, I'd rather do that than get in the car to go to Blockbuster. And, and so what Blockbuster did is they, again, lost sight of their purpose. And because they lost sight of their purpose, they didn't pivot. They didn't shift with the times. They didn't see that consumer behavior was going to change. They didn't even think about streaming. And, you know, Netflix came on the scene and disrupted initially, as I said, but then they went to streaming and Blockbuster had their thumb in their mouth, no clue, fat and happy, and they got destroyed. So, it is absolutely mission critical. Here's why. When you know your company purpose and you never lose sight of it, then you are always looking at, wait a second, why are we here? We are here to provide widgets. We are here to uh, provide uh, code. We are here to provide software. We're here, whatever problem you're solving, which is which every company has a purpose, whether they say it in a pretty way or not, you are solving a problem or you are meeting a desire through a product or service, period. So you got to know what your company purpose is and, and really not just for the company walls, but so that the executives and so that the team never loses sight of why the company exists. And when you don't lose sight of that, um, you find yourself much more nimble and uh, you're going to find yourself in a position to always pivot with the, uh, the habits, the desires, the problems that your customer has. But when you lose sight of your purpose, uh, you set yourself up to be killed. A lot of companies that that I see out there kind of have this purpose without ever talking about it or without ever thinking about it ex explicitly. Um, does it make sense from your perspective to, I don't know, have like a, a three-year vision that you change every once in a while where your purpose is explicitly set or your elevator pitch, let's say, is explicitly set? Does that make sense? Is that a good exercise for, for the leadership team? Or Yeah, I'll, I'll address the first part of your statement in that question that, you know, a purpose statement that nobody knows about and it doesn't inform the way we lead and the way that we act is a slogan. There's a big difference between a purpose statement is something that holds us accountable. And, and I love that you brought up vision. So visions change. Uh, it's rare that purpose will change. So let me break it down very simply uh, on what I learned from some great executive coaches. This is the way that I see it. Um, but I think it's a, a very important distinction to know the difference between purpose and vision and mission. Uh, I believe purpose is, it, it answers the question why. why. Why does our company exist? I believe vision answers the question, where do we want to go as a company? And I believe mission, a mission statement, answers the question, how do we go about reaching the vision? So I do believe that as companies evolve and that the marketplace changes, we need to be constantly going, hey, has our vision changed? Does our vision need to change? In other words, a simple analogy is 
we've been saying that we want to climb this mountain, but the market has dictated, customers have dictated that that's not the right mountain. We actually need to climb this mountain. And so that's a vision change. So yeah, I do think it's a, a, a wildly uh, important exercise to constantly uh, examine the vision, the direction, the destination, because that's what vision is, is our destination. And, and then that informs the mission, right? Because if I was, if we were planning to climb this mountain over here, and now we realize we've, we need to change our vision and it's actually this mountain, well, then the mission must change too. In other words, the tactical mission. Um, and, and I understand I'm talking to a lot of different people right now and you all have a different version of a purpose statement and, and that's fine. But, but, but it is important to understand whatever you want to call it, you ought to be able to answer the questions as a leader. You ought to be able to answer it instantly and your people ought to be able to answer instantly why we exist where we're going as a company, and how we're going to get there. And so forget how you define all those, but you better know your why, your where, and your how. Okay. Um, so you would say it's okay for a leader to, or a leadership team to actually come up with uh, like a, a purpose, a vision statement, and a mission statement potentially? Yeah, um, absolutely. Or is it like, because I, I saw companies that do that in group exercises in a late stage and what drops out there is typically, I would say, so unprecise um, mm -hmm. that it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, That's right. How do you think about that? Well, I, I think you bring up a good point. I, ideally, every company does this early on, right? In the very early days. And then revisits it and revisits it and revisits it. Uh, uh, but a lot of companies don't do it. And, and then they get themselves in a situation where they have to do it. Um, and that's okay, too. There's never a wrong time to do this. You know, I mean, would it be advantageous to do it early on? Yeah. But if you haven't, it's not too late. Now, understand, accept the fact that if you've never really examined this um, and you've not done this and put some big, bold rocks out there, if you will, to say, okay, this is what we're saying. Our why is, and this is where we want to go. And this is how we're going to get there. Uh, there's never, there's never a bad time to do that. It always is good, but it, understand it will, it will, uh, It will force some tough decisions when you commit to it. What, what do you think about autonomy? Um, like how autonomous should the people in a company be? Like if you have a purpose, um, should there be full autonomy? Or is that something that maybe every team has to like define for itself? Um, because there's like a lot of discussion in the tech scene like how autonomous should a group be? Then there's the, I don't know if you heard about the Spotify model where you have like squads that are working very independently and it partly seems to work, but I mean, even Spotify doesn't apply the Spotify model. Um, so uh, how do you think about autonomy? Uh, I think autonomy is very important, but we need to put structure or boundaries around what we mean by autonomy. Right now, you know, This is what's wild about the world we live in. You know, you and I can use autonomy in a sentence. Everybody listening can use it in a sentence. And largely, we all agree on what the, uh, the, the definition of it is. However, how autonomy gets applied is the vital question. So, um, you know, the human spirit requires a certain amount of autonomy. You know, a healthy human being uh, requires a, a good amount of autonomy, right? And, and, and so, okay, look... Um, th this is what's required of me, and I got to go do it, you know. Uh, so uh, I, would, I would give you two words here that, that need to be, I think, uh, if, if, <laughs> if I were to use a good old-fashioned, you know, mixing bowl, right? If you're going to make a, a, a recipe and, and you're mixing ingredients, I think autonomy works well when there is high levels of responsibility and high levels of accountability. So aut autonomy does not mean there is an accountability. Autonomy with a, respo a responsible person is going to thrive with autonomy. Um, and a company who has given their people and trust their people to do their job, whether it's remote, hybrid, or in the office, um, still must put boundaries and accountability in place with the autonomy. So yeah, autonomy is great if it has responsibility and accountability tied to it, if that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you, you just mentioned the word remote. How much do you actually believe 
in companies being fully remote um, and people really sitting at home and doing their job properly. And what what boundaries would you set if you had like a remote company, I would say? Uh, what, what, what would be like, how would you keep people accountable um, and what level of freedom would you personally um, try to try to give them? Well, uh, let's start with this. You know, the data says that uh, most employees end up wasting anywhere from two to three hours a day. If you take all the combined little breaks and conversations here. So let, let's just be honest. People are people. And, you know, this, this idea of never get up from your desk, you know, you know, never talk to anybody and you're going to be eight hours in the pocket, eight hours of real work and anything outside of that is stealing from the company. I just don't think anybody realistically expects that to happen. So that leads to at the end of the day, uh, there needs to be very clear expectations of what a win looks like in your job. And so we've got to get out of the mindset of punching the clock. And we have to focus on producing results. Okay. So that's a healthy, in my opinion, that's the way, like, let's forget about punching the clock. Let's talk about producing results. So we start with what are the results uh, that we as leaders expect of you to deliver? And when do we expect you to deliver those? And as it relates to systems and processes, how we expect you to deliver those. Okay. So what, when, and how? I think that's important. So I think if a company or a leader makes that extremely clear so that the team member and the leader are on the exact same page about what is expected in those three areas, then I think where you do it um, is largely a preference. Because if if a person's working from home, so you asked me if I, would, if I had a remote company, which I have no plans to have a remote company, but I'll play along. So if I had a remote company, I'm telling you, that's what I'm focusing on. Every employee would know very clearly what was expected of them, what results were expected, uh, when they were expected to be delivered, and how we wanted them delivered. And so they would be measured on that. And so if they were working from home, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about monitoring them. The only thing I have to worry about is Did they deliver the results that I asked? Did they deliver them when I asked them to be delivered? And did they deliver them the way that I wanted them to be delivered? That's the accountability. And so if that's working, I don't really care if they're in sweatpants or if they're in their home uh, or whatever. Now, let me just say, I'm answering your question extremely technically as far as the way you asked the question. What I'm not accounting for is culture. And here's what I know. So everything I just said is true, which, which I'm just being intellectually honest here, that I've got friends who run remote companies that are all remote and they're crushing it. Okay. But they have to do some things that are a little bit different. Um, they've defined a different type of culture than a traditional, everybody worked in the same building, but then they still build culture and relationships through some unique ways that are uh, a bit of a challenge, you know, because of the fact that everybody's remote and works all over the country. So let me say that I, I do believe that culture matters and I do believe that people, that we as humans are relational beings and we need human contact. Even the greatest of introverts, you know, still need some human relationship and contact. So as long as there is a defining culture, which I would define as shared behaviors and the shared behaviors are Uh, demonstrated clearly um, and there is a relational component so that people don't feel isolated, um, then, then I think it can work and work fabulously. So that could mean, I don't know, have a random coffee date every once in a while and meet someone virtually for a coffee. Yeah. It could mean having like a yearly offsite or something like that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I trust the human spirit, the innovative, creative powers of every human to figure out how to make that work. But again, I yeah. would say in order for remote work or hybrid work to work, um, it has to be a very clear expectation um, that is shared between the leader and uh, the team member, as I laid out. 
And I, I think if you do that, it can work because then again, there's accountability and you know what, it, 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 it'll make the leader have to chill out because the leader's chilling out until they go, okay, are you delivering the results when I want them, how I want them? If you're not, why? And then if we find that, you know, this person can't be trusted to work without oversight, well, here's the problem with that. If they can't deliver it on their own, I don't know that the results are going to be that much better if they're in the office with you anyway, because then you're having to stand on top of them. And that's nannyship, not leadership. So that's on you as a bad hire. I absolutely see the point and I actually, actually see it the same way. Um, Oh, I think it's 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 in a way challenging to really establish this 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 culture and um, this this like joint mission in a remote setup. Or how do you see that? Like, is it is it way more challenging than like a classical setup? Or you yeah. you think it's just the same? No, I think it's much more challenging. I mean, there's just no there's no two ways about it. I mean, you could take any any field. Uh, uh, You know, it'd be like, um, I mean, I've talked to teachers. I've talked to American teachers. Teaching remote was way more challenging than teaching in the classroom. You know, so so leading people remotely is by just the very nature of lack of proximity, it's much more challenging. I, I think it's maybe easier to, to attract talent there uh, because that like the boundaries are very low of maybe changing jobs, but then like retaining becomes more of a problem, right? Um If you if you really make it that simple uh, to 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 switch jobs wherever you are, yep. Um, or, or how do you see that? Yeah, it, that is the number one. It's always been the the name of the game for leaders is retaining talent. You know, we want to keep people as long as possible. We realize that that you know you can't keep everybody. You know, uh, and there's going to be opportunities that people get for a variety of reasons uh, to to move on or to desire to move on. Um, but there's no question that you know. Certainly in the audience we're talking to today in the tech world, I mean, I shared a story on the Ken Coleman show yesterday that uh, data came out um, earlier this month that 42% of developers in the United States are thinking about quitting their job. And the reason is because they're looking at the numbers and they see the inflation going on in the United States. And, and part of that is wages are up and developers are in high demand. And and so compensation is is the main reason. The second reason is remote work. You know, a lot of companies are slowly starting to go, we want you back in the office some. Well, look, developers know this. They can do their job on a playground. Give them a laptop and an internet signal and they could hack the entire world. You know, these are the smartest people on the planet, these techies, these developers. I mean, they just are. And there's just no question about it. They can do their job from anywhere. And so the pandemic, you know, obviously forced the issue. And so now they're going, wait a second. Going to hedge my bets a little bit. And if you're going to make me come back in, I don't want to come back in. So I'm going to see if I can find a company that'll let me stay at home. Now, the challenge with that is, is you may leave a really great company uh, and, and box yourself into a corner where, yes, you're doing the tech work and yes, you're doing it at home in your sweatpants and eating Rocky Road ice cream at three o'clock in the afternoon, but you're not happy with what you're doing overall. So you've got to be careful with that too. But, um, But yeah, it is the, the the world that we're in right now, the world at work has changed forever. And I think you're going to see a high rate of people changing jobs for the in for the uh, for the indefinite future, I think. Honestly, I just think the the you know, the days of working at, at a company uh, for a long time are over. I saw something recently I shared on my show that I think baby boomers on average stayed at a job for like 15 years or something. That was my parents' age. And then like my generation, Gen X, I think it was like six years maybe. And then like the millennials, it's like a year and a half, two years at most, you know, and I think Gen Z behind them. So the name of the game in retaining people is the issue you brought up is do you give them an opportunity to win in their job and win in their life? That's the game. So that's a combination of they got to really enjoy their work. You know, I talk about the sweet spot. They got to be doing work that not, not that they're just talented at, but work that they love that produces a result that they care about. Now they're self-motivated because they're, they get up every day and they're delivering results, producing results that they really care about while doing something they enjoy. That's the game changer. You want to increase loyalty and retention, focus on that. 
Uh, however, that's not enough anymore. Uh, that will extend the loyalty and retention. But now you got to go, okay, between what I pay them, the benefits, the things outside of the traditional healthcare benefits, uh, whether it be maybe helping them with financial uh, education so that they can do more with the paycheck you give them, they can accomplish their dreams. Um, you got to show people not just a better job, but a better life as a result of working for you. And that's the game. That's the secret. If you can do that, you'll increase retention. This episode is proudly presented by OfferZen. OfferZen is a specialized developer job platform that helps 2,000 plus companies to hire remote developers and on-site developers across Europe and Africa in 16 plus countries. Companies get instantly matched with developers who are vetted for skills. Companies see profiles with upfront candidates information like skills, salary and visa requirements and reach out directly to developers from there on the platform. A developer is hired on OfferZen every six hours. Listeners of AlphaList can get exclusive deals to jumpstart their developer hiring by heading to offerzen.com slash partners slash AlphaList. I absolutely see the point um, and, and, and your point. And one step back maybe to, to attracting the right people. Um, does that come from the like having the right purpose in place and the right mission in place? Um, is it because you have the right challenges that they can solve, which I see like for especially for engineers is one of the most important things and 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 growth, personal growth? Um, or is there another secret ingredient that you would say is important? I think you said, I think you nailed most of them. The only thing I'd add to that um, ingredient list is you got to be able to share the narrative the right way. You know, um, I've had the privilege to interview so many A-listers and, and, and great content creators, whether it be music or, or writing. And uh, one thing that I've learned from all of them is, is that the key to their success was they wrote or they produced music. Um, they wrote books, they produced music, they told stories um, that they wanted to consume themselves. And so what happens is you realize that this is a big old world. And so I'm going to put out what I enjoy. And I know there's a lot of people that also enjoy the same thing. And so people will gravitate to it. Okay. So another example, and I'm getting to answer your question. Another example is if, is if you are at a elementary school and it's snack time. And you've got a table full of snacks. Well, you're going to have some cheesy goldfish snack crackers over here. Maybe you got some gummy bears here. Maybe you got some fruit here. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Some chocolate over here. And you have a large group of kids. You go, hey, kids, it's snack time. You know, and and you just illustrate by going, okay, here's what we got. We got crackers here, gummies here, fruit here, chocolate all the kids will gravitate to what they want. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the kids will select. They'll go, okay, well, I want chocolate. You know, I want chocolate. So as a company, when you are trying to attract talent, well, you're not offering the smorgasbord, you know, of the snack table. You are like that first group, like the author, the musician going, you know, I'm going to do this kind of music. I'm going to, I'm going to put out jazz and I put out this type of jazz and that's all I do is jazz. And if you like jazz, buy my album, come see me. As a company, you go, these are the problems that we solve. Here's how we go about solving them. And we're looking for someone who is really good at this. That's the talent piece. We're looking for someone who loves doing this type of work. Boom, 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 boom. And we're looking for somebody who is who is wildly motivated to produce these results. And in sharing it that way, that narrative and putting it out there, the people that are attracted to that will find you. And when you're super clear the way I just laid that out, the people that aren't interested in that aren't going to apply. Or if they do apply because it's just a J-O-B, in the selection and interview process, you're going to be able to weed them out if you are crystal clear on what you are looking for, the person that fits this seat on the bus, you're going to attract the people that want to be on that seat. And that's how you, that's how you attract the right talent. You got to be crystal clear. 
you know, because it's not for everybody. People actually have to read it and understand it, which can be a challenge, can't it? Well, not if you're good at just simplifying. Simplify. Yeah. Write it like a write it for a third grader. Job descriptions ought to be written honestly to third grade level. You know, so that a person can look at it and go, and I know some of you techies are scoffing right now. I didn't say use, you know, use third grade words. I'm saying, could a third grader understand the specifics of this job? And if you can write it that simply, you know, again, that's, you're going to focus on emotion and heart in that description. You're going to focus on feelings and facts. Cut out all the fancy crap and tell people exactly what you're looking for. Okay, then I guess we're done with attracting talent. What do you think about retaining talent? Um, and like we spoke about the remote setups and so on, um, and how you see uh, the good old work time as as result measurement, um, yeah. which you yeah. don't believe in. Um, what do you think about the environment that you should create and and provide for people to be successful and, yeah. and and for people to stay with you is there like do you have like three things you think is very important um, i have six to, you ready six well yes i'm gonna <laughs> yes. give you more than you asked for i'll be quick but here's the answer to your question the simple answer is the key to retention is engagement so the greater the engagement of the employee the longer they're going to stay with you duh right so now it begs the question how do we increase engagement, meaning the employee is truly engaged. I don't mean present. I mean, they're engaged. Um, and, and when they're engaged, productivity goes up and profitability follows. So uh, there are six rules of engagement. I believe I, I, I poured over the largest study that Gallup or anybody's ever done on employee engagement. And I looked at all the results and I came up with what I believe are six leadership rules. And so these are for you leaders. They're very simple. But if you institute these rules or develop something out of these rules uh, and lead this way with your people, then retention is going to increase. Uh, first is the purpose rule. So people need to be using what they do best, that's their talent, doing work they love, passion, and producing results that matter to them, mission. They need to be spending a majority of their day. I would say north of 60, 70% is the, is the goal where they are spending most of their day, most of their week, most of their year using what they do best to do work they love to produce results that matter to them. Number two, the expectation rule. We talked about this earlier. Your people need to know what to do, how to do it, and how the results will be measured. That's expectations. Uh, number three is the relationship rule. And that is your people must feel cared for by you, their leader, and they must feel connected to their team. This is wildly important. This is where belonging comes in. And if they feel they belong, you're going to see retention increase. Um, fourth is the recognition rule. Your people must be recognized publicly by you. That means in front of their peers, you got to praise them, reward them for work well done. And then they, you need to recognize them privately. That's very intimate one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, I see what you're doing. You're doing a good job. And you're doing a great job for the team. You really helped me the other day. Or this, 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 this. Or I read this customer service report and you were unbelievable. You know, that's the recognition rule. <clears throat> Number five is the growth rule. Your people must be challenged to learn new skills and step into new roles. We are creatures of progress. And if we aren't progressing, we start looking. And so that's important to use a leader. You're constantly upskilling your people, giving them new skills, training them, developing them. And, and then, as a result of that, give them an opportunity to step into a new challenge. And then finally, the sixth rule, the crusade rule, your people must see how their work is a part of a cause greater than themselves. I mean, especially in technology, where a lot of times in technology, the workers aren't touching the people. But they need to be reminded regularly, if you're writing this code that has a transformative product or service on the other end, you have just as much impact on someone's life as the salesperson or the or the person who administers the product or whatever. And, and so that's huge. So those six rules will increase engagement. And as a result, you'll see greater retention, greater productivity, greater profitability. 
And here's the, the, the signature statement out of those six rules. When you implement those rules, when you take care of the people you have, you'll never have to worry about getting the people you need. I'm going to say that again, because that's a bomb. Okay. When you take care of the people you have leaders, you won't have to worry about getting the people that you need because they're going to become your greatest ambassadors. They're going to go, Hey, come over here. The water's so nice in this pool. Come swim with us. And that's the key. Um, and, and so William's always worried about finding new talent, keeping talent. Look, take care of the people you have and, and, and it'll take care of itself. How do you think about, um, I mean, one, one topic, which is really, um, done a lot is like having ESOP incentives, for example, having, having monetary incentives that where you have, let's say like a classical ESOP model where you have one year cliff. So you have to be at least one year with the company and then you have four years vesting, uh, where you have to stay four years with the company to, to, for your, for your incentive to finally pay off, uh, which is like, um, let's say a, a, a very hard way harsh way to say, stay with us, please, for at least four years. Um, how do you think about that? Does I, that make I, sense? I think it's, yeah, it does if you do what I just described, though. Uh, you know, in other words, if you don't create engagement through those engagement rules, then you're, you're only going to hold people for the, you know, for the people who want the extra money. And I get calls every day on the Ken Coleman show where people go, should I leave those benefits? Should I leave? I, I would leave this. And I'm going to tell you what I tell them every freaking time. Yeah, I would leave. I would not wait two more years in a job where you are miserable or you don't want to be there just because you're going to get your, your vested stuff. I would go, no, forget it. I wouldn't trade two years of misery for extra money. So, you know, that's what, I, that's what advice I'd give to somebody on the street in an elevator and on my show. So to leaders, I go, it's a good idea only if It is combined with an environment where people are engaged and want to be with you. It's kind of like, it, it, who wants to be in a relationship like that? You know, can you imagine? Can you imagine telling your wife, hey, listen, uh, I'm excited to marry you. Let's get married. I'm going to throw a little thing in here. If you stay married to me for four years, but you got to be four years. You stay married to me for four years, well, then you're going to get this big financial bonus or I'm going to take you on a trip to Paris and get you a five-carat ring. Well, there'd be a lot of women that would take that deal. But what are we doing here? Like, what's, what's the point of that? Um, I like it as a reward, not an incentive. Because the incentive piece falls flat if there's not real engagement. Um, I, I I had to smile because it's really a, a good example you you, you brought up there. Um, I I also feel that um, it's maybe like for knowledge workers, uh, let's say for 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 the typical techie, um, the the monetary incentive often doesn't count as much as as the growth rule you just mentioned. So that like you they they personally because because maybe they do so much like technical stuff, right? Uh, maybe that, that, that is what drives them. Um, they act a bit different than, than, than salespeople, for example. Is that something you also, you, you, you could confirm? Absolutely. I mean, I, that, listen, that speaks to what I've been talking about with passion. Remember, I define the word passion in this context as work you love doing. And then I, I define mission as results that matter to you. So you've just laid this out. You know, the tech worker, maybe more so than most, cares more about the actual work itself and the results of the work. They need that juice, man. I call it the juice. You know, they, they need the juice <laughs> of, of being able to tackle the right problem and deliver the right result. And if they don't get it, they get bored and then they're done. So money is nice. It's not everything. And by the way, this isn't just true of, of tech workers. This is the idea that we long for meaning in our work. We long to make a contribution. And I can't tell you how many people have called my show recently that took a raise recently. And they were like, oh, this is great. And the, the high of the extra dollars have worn off. And they realize they're not doing something they enjoy. And boy, that'll make a person hate Monday mornings quick. If you think about mentoring, um, it's, vital. That, it's vital. It's vital. You know, 
it, I'm a, I'm a growth junkie. I'm a progress junkie. I want to max out my potential and no person can max out their potential without what I call the sage in their life. And that's a mentor. It's the superpower of the sage, you know, the older woman or man or more experienced woman or man in your life that you can go to for wisdom. You know, knowledge is great, but knowledge is overrated. You know, it's not overrated. It's actually underrated and that's wisdom. Oh, wisdom, big difference. And, and you can't just summon wisdom at times in our lives because we're in the middle of it. We're the star in our own movie. And, you know, you think about all the great movies. Luke Skywalker doesn't become Luke Skywalker. He doesn't defeat Darth Vader without Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. He just doesn't. And, and we can't either. You got to find your Yoda. You got to find your Obi-Wan, you know, because there are times in life where you got big decisions and you're so in the thick of it. It's impossible for you to be wise. But we can lean on others who have wisdom of experience, wisdom of knowledge, and, uh, and, and, and who can step out of the situation and see it for what it really is and give us great insight. Wisdom through the mentor is enormous. And then the other factor is not just wisdom. There are two biggies you get from a mentor. Wisdom is one. And two is accountability. You know, somebody that's kind of holding you, holding you to it. Hey, you're not doing what you said you wanted to do. What's going on there? You know, that's vital for growth. And would you recommend every potential Luke Skywalker here to get an external Obi-Wan Kenobi or would like someone who's not working with, with I don't with care where you get or, I don't put yeah. any rules or stipulations on it. Uh, I think a mentor is defined simply as somebody who is further along than you, doesn't even have to be your field, but they just have a lot more experience than you and they, they uh, uh, are successful. So they got a track record. We, we're not, these aren't people that are opinions. They, they got experience of winning and they do have more age and experience. And then I would say the other item is, is they need to be somebody who's willing to tell you the truth. They're truth tellers. They don't really care how it sounds. They're going to give you advice. They're going to give you wisdom. They're going to hold you accountable. So most likely it's maybe more someone external as you really have to trust him or her with everything, right? Um, I, I'm going to push back on that. It doesn't have to be external. It can be external, but I mean, you know, if I'm a young techie, uh, the first week I'm in a new job, I'm trying to find out who the wisest, uh, most caring, experienced lifer is at this tech company, and I'm going to try to become his, his grasshopper and sit with him at lunch, hang out with him. So I think internal and external. You think you have like a few rules of thumb that um, make you a better leader every day or make everyone a better leader if, 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 if applied? I mean, it's, it's a simple question again, and I guess you have six, um, but maybe. No, no, maybe you I'll have give you, some. those are the six rules of engagement. I'll give you two simple questions that will guarantee leadership growth and that you will be a good leader. Two questions that you have to ask and get answers to. The first is, How are you doing? This is a personal question. The people you lead on a, on a daily or it better be a minimum once a week, look at them in the eye and go, how are you doing? Okay, now that's a, I'm giving a general question, but we're going, hey, how's your mom doing? I know she's been sick. You know, how's your kid doing? I know he's been struggling. How are you doing? How's life? How are you doing personally? It's very important. Um, because as a leader, you need to be checking in with their heart and what's going on because you aren't just leading a professional person, you are leading a person. And if they are hurting, they're dragging that stuff to the office with them. And let me tell you what that does. That makes you a better leader instantly because they begin to have a connection with you when they realize that you care about them. When you really show them you care about them and what's going on in their life, a connection is built And then out of connection, trust develops. And trust is everything. So that's why that personal question on a regular basis is huge. It develops trust. The second question is, how can I help you win in your role? Now, that's the professional question. First one's personal. Second one is professional. And you're going, how can I help you win in your role? 
Because as you have developed a personal connection, they trust you more and watch what happens. Now they're willing to answer that question. But most employees aren't willing to answer that question absent of the connection and trust that's developed by showing them that you care. Because then they'll go, hey, yeah, I'm, I, here's, here's where I need some help. I'm struggling in this area. I need a little bit more training on this. But most employees won't ever tell you that for fear of uh, hurting their personal brand with you or potentially getting fired or demoted. But a leader who establishes that first question and connection and trust is going to get a better answer, a more complete, transparent answer on the second question. And when they begin to tell you, yeah, here's what I need, then you as a leader, which you are to be a servant, now you know how you can help each member of your team win. And that's your job. That's your priority is to take their answers to those questions and love on them and serve them. You do that, People will talk about your leadership like you're the Wizard of Oz. It's that simple. I really do believe that is the simplest, most uh, pure form of leadership there is. Ask those questions and actually do something. Act on the answers. Yeah, I think the 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 the, the second part is the, the the heart of right to actually listen um, and to 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 think about it and to process it and to act on it right um, mm -hmm. it's way way harder than than asking the question but uh, yeah I, I agree it's 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 really simple and um, is something that um, I can feel if you apply it, um, it 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 changes like it, it changes your perspective and it changes people's perspective on you um, I have like just one relatively simple question for you um, that maybe um, is around your personal growth and and uh, your personal path um, as well, and which is also my outro question, uh, by the way. Um, if you had the chance to jump back in time to 1996 when you just finished off Liberty University, um, What would you change? What would you whisper into your young self's ears? Mm -hmm. Learn the discipline of patience because it's going to be your superpower. You know, I think we humans, some people are more patient than others. It's just a, it's a personality trait in many people. Um, but all of us, um, I think as I've looked back on my life and I, and I coach people every day and I've heard their intimate stories of their journeys of disappointment and resentment and blah, 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 blah. I think one of the great culprits of the human spirit is our, our, our innate desire for progress creates a tension between progress and patience. And yet there is no progress absent of patience. In other words, it's this weird thing. It's like we, we know the doing part of growth and progress. Okay, I got to get up and I got to do it. So whether it be losing 50 pounds or putting on muscle or starting a company, you know, out of your garage, you got to do, 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 do. And boy, we understand the do. And boy, when we do the do, we're like, when's it gonna, when's it gonna pay off? You know, what, what, oh my gosh, I only lost a pound today. I got 49 to go, right? so freaking hard in the gym. I, I, I didn't eat all this junk today. I got headaches because I've had sugar and, oh, is it worth it? And there is where the discipline, I believe patience is a discipline. It's a, it's just as much an action as the doing. And so what I've learned is, is that true breakthrough is a result of living and being okay with the tension between patience and progress. Um, so many people quit right before the breakthrough and, and gosh, learning the power of waiting, uh, some of the biggest moments of my professional career, some of the biggest blessings in my personal life were, were at the long end of waiting. And, and so I think that that's the advice I would give my younger self. Understand this is the deal. And those who learn the power of waiting, still doing, but I'm waiting in the doing. That's magical. I, 
absolutely see that um, and absolutely get that. And maybe if you add, if you say be patient and listen, um, <laughs> that perfectly fits to your to your questions yeah. you you recommended asking. Um, I think that's that's very important. Yeah. So um, can anything you want to add? Um, any shout out you wanna you wanna do at the end? Um, because it has been like very entertaining, and uh, you, you you told us a lot. Um, I think like most most leaders, most CTOs in Germany maybe don't know your show, maybe don't know your book. So maybe you want to add anything, or you just want to recommend. Uh, yeah, one more well, you thing know what? <laughs> I'd, I'd love to do a shout out to all the leaders. You know, in Germany, it's been this is a great privilege to sit in the United States and and get an opportunity to talk to leaders in Germany. I hope I've encouraged you. And hey. I'm a plane ticket away. I'll come out and speak to your company. If I can help you with these issues, we can sit down elbow to elbow or speak with your leaders. But I would love to encourage you and equip you to uh, win big with your people. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I've got a unique advantage that I get to talk to people every day. I've talked to over 5,000 people live on the air who want to leave leaders or who want to join leaders. And so I have a new unique perspective on this. And so, uh, I'd love to, to add value to you. Um, and uh, KenColeman.com is the website. You can reach out to me that way uh, or reach out to the podcast here. And uh, Tobias will give you my contact info, but I'd love to, uh, to come over to Germany if I can help you all with engagement and, and developing um, a real system by which you can attract and acquire and retain talent. Uh, so that would be my shout out. Connect with me. I'd love to help. Thanks a lot. I actually think I have to read the transcript of this podcast a few times and <laughs> we absolutely have to publish it. Thanks a lot, Ken, for Thank you. for 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 the show and, and for your help here. Um, and uh, I hope I get you on the plane to Germany a few times. In the Let's future. do it. I'm ready to roll. It'd be a blast. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Enjoy your day. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Alphalist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Alphalist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.